Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You uh, want to talk about how to kind of, I don't know, make this podcast feel a little more alive? Yeah, you know, uh, we could just bring in some fireworks, maybe some sparklers. Mm, I don't know, a big I band? I think it's something a little less, uh, a little less um, big. Maybe just something smaller, like some small details, but maybe we should talk about it. (laughs) Okay. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today's episode, we are answering a question from Powell, who contacted us on Slack um, and said, uh, I have another topic I'd like to suggest for Pandas Talking Games, how to make the locations feel alive. I mean, the epic locations like a crappy old space station orbiting a dead planet, not... Uh, how to make that not feel like any other urbanized space, how to feel the awe of looking down at the planet from the space station, or how to feel that you are exploring the ruins of Manhattan in a post-apocalypse and not another generic empty space with no NPCs to talk to. How do you feel the dread of what humanity has lost? This is what movies and TV shows make really good, as one image says more than a lengthy description from the GM. I always hope to find it in RPGs, and I almost never do. Any tips and tricks on how to make locations feel more alive? Oof. Thanks, Powell. Yeah, it's a lot. It's good yes. stuff. yes. I didn't read the emoji. There was a little little sad face in there too, but just so we <laughs> Okay. I um I think we should start in a very um very typical way with a definition. Agree. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's let's define alive. Um there are many definitions. I've cracked open the dictionary here. Um so having life, not dead or inanimate. So I think not inanimate, I think will probably be a thing we will focus on, right? Sure. Um, yes. Still in existence, force or operation. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Marked by alertness, energy or briskness. I think the energy is probably the key piece of that one. Yeah. I think I like this next one. Marked by much life, animation or activity. Yes. Right. I yeah. think that is where we um, that's where we need to get to. So, yeah. Starting with Powell's uh, question, there's a piece in it that Powell's absolutely right, right? Movies and TVs have an advantage over RPGs in that conveying images, right? The old picture's worth a thousand words. Conveying images is a great way uh, with things like panning uh, shots or tracking shots, things like that, that um, help to convey that kind of general life, Right. Yeah. Which is hard, which is harder to do in a shared narrative space. Right. So going back to our definition, in case we all uh, have forgotten shared narrative space is the shared collective understanding of what something looks like in the game. Yeah. I'm just going to I'm going to slide right in really quickly just to call out that when we talk about movies and TV shows and the shots 
that set up this kind of feeling or the feelings that people are specifically trying to evoke in movies and TV shows. Um, the work and artistry of how those shots happen is something we don't think about all the time as people who just consume that media, but it is a true and actual real thing, right? People are thinking about how they approach that shot in order to convey what they want to. If it is a cramped space, they are approaching it in a way that makes it feel smaller and closer. If it is vast and incomprehensible, then they are going to be approaching it maybe further back in a way that makes it feel vast and incomprehensible. So the first thing I just want to call out is, A, that is an art form in and of itself that sometimes I think we might take for granted, especially when we start talking about RPGs and we're like, well, if I could just if I could just get this picture out there, then we would all be in the same place. But I think that also keeping those techniques in mind is one of the pieces that we can use to help us achieve some of the things that Powell is talking about, which is not just that it feels alive and engaging, but that you are trying to convey an emotion or an experience through the setting, right? Yeah. So when I think of this, I think of a number of things that you could do. So the first one, um, that comes to mind is emulating those shots that we see in movies, right? Yeah. But emulating them with words. Yes, which is a thing I think both you and I do a lot. Sure, absolutely. Right? Um, I am a big fan uh, when I describe games and when I describe the uh, action around the table as I'm setting up the shared narrative space. Um, I often think about it in my own mind as what it would look like if it was on a screen. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So I actually do say things like using some of those shots or zooming in is a phrase I use quite often, um, those kinds of things. So I would say, right, the first technique somebody could really work on is consume some media, visual media, consume some visual media, pay attention to the things that you just said, right? Pay attention to how those shots are set up, especially at the beginnings of movies, the beginnings of TV shows, right? Those are usually the establishing shots yes. that kind of set everything up. Look at how those are done and then think to yourself, how would you describe that to somebody if all you had was words, yeah, I one of the things that I will just say at this point is I will actually frequently say, literally say, the camera pans or whatever, right? Like, I don't even pretend. Like, I literally am saying this is what the camera is doing. I am narrating the cinematography of the establishing shots in the same way that you're saying, right? If, if I was just trying to, if I was watching a movie and I was trying to describe to you exactly what was happening on my screen as we established those shots. 100%, right? right? 100%. I do. I have done the same thing. I sometimes say camera and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just say things like, you know, we zoom in or, sure. you know, we come down to sweep down the street as we go past the people bustling to go to work, you know, and we arrive, you know, at the newsstand where you're standing buying your paper. Right. Right. And I think that stuff is super key because if you just set the scene as like you are in a post-apocalyptic hellscape in this terrible warehouse um, that's dirty and grimy, right? Like the, the more adjectives that I'm adding to this, the more feel you're getting for it. But if I start like with the camera pans up from the dark out of like a sewer grate in the road, then we have a different starting point than me just trying to describe a space. We have an establishing point that actually just by its 
sheer beginning tells me some stuff about this world that feels gritty and like, you know, ooh, sure. we're coming up out of the sewers, like there's steam rising and everything's sort of dark or whatever, right? Um, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Because um, I have one picked out. Do you have a favorite author for those kinds of descriptions? Like the text of descriptions that when you read, you're just like, oh, I, I can... I can see everything. Oh, that's such a big question to ask. <laughs> I've read just, 10 books already you, this year. Sure. Um, can you name one of those that might have really done that well? Um, I, so I'm just going to call out Tamsin Moore right now for The Lock Tomb because I'm obsessed. Sure. Um, and I think that she does an amazing job um, with everything from a disintegrating mansion on a dead planet to, you know, space stations. Um, and also, like, basically the slums of an, an interstellar, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallum, um, uh, refugee community, right? So, um, yeah, without, but, but, but in the way that I think that we also want to do with RPGs, which is that the setting is a constant character, right, in the background that has an impact on our characters all the time. And um, that uh, there are times you're going to call it out, like we're talking about with these establishing shots. And there are times that it's going to constantly be present and influencing actions, but that you may not step everybody back for five minutes to describe the whole thing in great detail, right? Yeah. Aren't, aren't you going to ask me? Yeah, <laughs> now I'm going to ask you. Wait, but I think I know who it is, but I think everybody else probably doesn't. Does it start with a W? Sure, of and course, then a it's G? William Gibson. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, if you look at like the first line from Neuromancer, right? The sky above the port was the color of a television tuned to a dead channel. Yeah, I mean, damn evocative. Right, and, and I think that holds true to pretty much everything that Gibson describes. And I have been greatly inspired by Gibson's descriptions because he does these kind of very large sweeping sentences, but he also does a thing which I think helps this topic, which is he will then describe some very small things. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that is, I think, another aspect of doing really good descriptions that are that make things feel alive is that you have to like you you have to sometimes paint in really broad strokes. And then other times you have to do some really fine work. Yeah, like, I think that's kind of what I was um, going for, too, yeah. in a different perspective. And I like it. Yeah. So I will sometimes like I will do those kind of sweeping things and then I might talk about a particular piece of trash that is on the ground on the sidewalk. Sure. Right. Like a crushed coffee cup that, you know, has, you know, um, a ring of foam around the inside of the cup that's, you know, by your foot. Right. Like because the thing that we all know is that when we see something painted in only broad strokes, we see what it is, but it doesn't necessarily feel alive, right? Because we know on a subconscious level that things have details. Yeah. Right. So we need to see some details. Um, and, and those details can also be in the form of other senses, right? So sounds, what are you hearing? Um, if I'm describing um, a post-apocalyptic, like let's say 
wasteland desert kind of situation, then let's talk about like the feeling of being parched, right? Or, or, you know, the air tastes like sand, right? right. Those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. The metallic taste that you, you know, you haven't gotten out of your mouth for three days. Yeah. Um, these things start to help make something feel more alive is by adding in the detail. So you start with really broad strokes, but then you have to like kind of come back around and look at some of the details. So this is, um, this is really interesting to me because it is, um, it is firing all of my old costume design uh, neurons up. And the reason that it's doing that, I, just to be clear, I also did a lot of um, set design work, even though my focus was in costume design. Um, but they have a, a, a similar approach in that every decision that you make about what details you include is telling the audience something about the emotion that you want them to feel. So I think another, another dimension of this conversation is not really just feeling alive, right? It's how do you make your settings carry the emotion that you as a GM are trying to convey for this particular part of the story. And, and that that's that moment where it it not only would hopefully then feel alive because it's carrying an emotional um, message as well, but then it's also pushing the story forward and pushing engagement with your players at the table. Um, so the details, the broad strokes, of course, obviously impact this, but the details also impact this, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm like doing costume design, um, putting a flirty swooshy skirt on someone versus putting a pencil skirt on someone, even if they're made out of the exact same fabric, convey two very different things, sure. right? You will have a different immediate reaction to that person. And th this gets into, you know, the stereotypes that we carry in our society. And frankly, a lot of them are subconscious bias and that kind of thing. And, and you know, it's stuff that we want to work with when it impacts people badly or other situations badly. But at the same time as a GM, um, when they are not necessarily harmful, um, these are the expectations that you're playing on when you describe anything, whether it's what a character looks like, um, what they're wearing, what they sound like, um, you are playing with the expectations that those descriptions mean to the players, whether you then play into the stereotype or against that stereotype, whatever it is. Um, there is a piece of this that is about the first impression, right? And people's first reaction. And with the setting, unless you're, again, specifically playing against type, you're going to give them an immediate first impression that allows them to then act into that type of story or that emotional um, message that you're conveying them based on those broad strokes and those details, right? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of it is that consideration of like, you can make a setting feel alive in a lot of different ways. And sometimes feeling alive is that it's bustling. There's a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of ways to interact with it. But sometimes that feeling alive is that it's very empty and desolate. But really the question is, what's, what's the emotional message you're sending to your players um, with this setting for them to act in? What, it, sure. what are they engaging with emotionally? Because there's not always an NPC to engage with, as Powell said, right? Like if it's just an empty street... 
what I need to know is like, is this an empty street that's nice and dry and mostly clean and broad daylight? Or is this an empty street that has like mist flowing through it and little runnels of, you know, dripping water down the sides of the rundown buildings on either side with a pile of garbage at the end? Because I have a very different emotional reaction to both of those things. Well, I'll, I'll also say, you know, this is an empty street. Is it supposed to be empty? Yeah, not? were you were you expecting it to be empty? Correct, right? Because that's that also, also another. Huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the next thing I think. So let's go. Let's just stick with descriptions because I have sure. a few more things outside of just descriptions that I think make things feel alive. But go, sure. staying with descriptions and trying sure. to convey tone and all of that. So besides just verbal descriptions. There are other things we can do to convey that tone, the feeling, and also add to the descriptions, right? So one thing would be using sounds. Mm -hmm. So if you have something like soundscapes or, uh, you know, you have some sort of access to um, playing different sounds, you can, for instance, like get a sound of a city street, right? As you're describing the city street and play the sound or, you know... Um, soundscape of like a cave or, you know, maybe it's machinery going because the space station has kind of a constant hum because of all the, you know, systems for gravity and life support and all of that stuff. Yeah. Or if failing that, then the sound becomes part of your description. Sure. Right. In well, your words. I'm, I'm talking, right. I'm trying to talk about things that you can do other than saying in, in, words. In addition yes. to saying it. Sure. Yeah. Because, because you're right. We can describe sounds. We can describe tastes. We can describe what things look like. But beyond that, we can play sounds while we're talking. Right. Yes. That would add some flavor. The other thing is we could use images like if there are um Images from either the internet or from the um, source material or whatever, we can use those images to also help um, convey that. Okay. Yeah. Th those are the things I think. And then I, I, to get into the really weird, because I've seen this on, I think it was a Facebook ad and just clicked right off of it. There's even these like, there are people who make these like um, RPG smells. Okay. Like, Interesting. Like, like it's like a little like in like burner thing, like with oils. And it's like, oh, do you want it to smell like dungeon? And you put them <laughs> in like, I don't know. I've never done anything like that, but I'm sure that would also work. It's like a soundscape. It's just, you know, olfactory, not audio. Yeah, I've definitely actually run into an Etsy place um, that does candles uh, yes. that go with fantasy genres. And the particular one that I have in mind and the reason I started giggling makes candles like um, <laughs> getting aftercare from Sam in the scent of potatoes. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the ones I saw were like these like little cartridges and I think they were like, like oils that heated up or something. Right, that would anyway, be faster to change. Sure. Okay. All right. So beyond just doing a good job of describing things or reinforcing your descriptions with other senses, a thing that makes a place feel alive is um, going back to our definition, right, of life, right? Yeah. Um, putting some things in there that are alive. Like it's one thing to say there's a newsstand on the city street. It's another thing to say that the there's a guy at the newsstand arguing with the owner over last night's sports scores. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah, the setting 
this, so this is, this is actually the other thing I wanted to talk about too. And I don't know if this is the direction you're going in. So please forgive me if I'm dragging us off the rails, but the setting is a character. It's going to take actions. Like things are going to happen in it besides what the characters do. I I would say, I, I would agree with you, except that this setting is sometimes a character. That's okay. That's, that's fair. The settings, the setting is sometimes a character. There are times where we don't need it to be, but there are times where we definitely want it to be. There are times when it's not acting as a character. Sure. Yeah. Or it's very far in the background and it doesn't matter. Exactly. Right. Because there are times where, there are times where I want to move through a particular scene and don't want to linger on it. So I'm not going to go out of my way to describe the scenery of that, right? Because it's yes. not germane or, you know, to what we're trying to accomplish. Like, you're like, oh, shit, I forgot rope. And be right. like, cool, you can just, you stop, you know, before you leave you, town. You just stop and grab some rope. You stop yeah. and grab some rope, right? I don't need to describe to you the store. No. Um, but if the store is going to be a major hub of where the players are going to spend their time in the campaign, like maybe between adventures, this is the place that they find work or this is the place where they trade items they found in the dungeon or whatever, and it's going to have a more central role, then yes, I will give it some more description and I will start to describe in a way to make it feel living that there are also other people who come in here and shop. Right. Right. Um, That it it functions even when the characters aren't there. Which I think is also one of those things that defines Alive is it persists beyond your presence. Yes. Right? Um, If you leave, things still happen. Yes. And so the way to kind of show those, right, and this will depend on whether you're playing a one-shot or a campaign, right? If you're playing a one-shot, showing some things like, you know, the... Um, two brothers who run the inn are arguing over last night's sports scores, right? That's a way to show just in a single scene, this place is alive. It has some character, right? If we want it to be in a campaign, then over time, some things we keep the same and some things we start to change. Like maybe the next time the players come in, the owners are arguing over sports scores again. Maybe the next time they come in, they're talking about the younger brother went out on a date. Yeah. Right. Things have happened. And evolved. With, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the other thing that helps to give a sense of being alive. And you can do it where these these things interact with the character. And I think that's okay as well. But I think it's more important when it doesn't necessarily interact with the character directly. Like if the two brothers are arguing over sports scores and one of the players interjects, that's fine. But the idea that like you walk in and the two brothers are arguing over sports scores gives you this impression that when you're not in the inn, Yes. They're arguing over these sports scores. Right. Or that they went and saw a game last night together. They exist outside of this and therefore their inn was maybe closed last night or that's where everybody was, you know, came after the game or, you know, yeah. Yeah. The the setting then therefore existed before the characters interacted with it and will continue to exist after the characters interacted with it. And and I think that's a really key part to it is um, if... If the NPCs only light up when you walk into the room, 
Mm-hmm. Right. You can start to get this kind of, you know, subconscious thing that when you're not there, um, this chunk do. gets, un- well, to use a Minecraft term, this <laughs> chunk gets unloaded from memory. Sure. Right. But if you want it to feel persistent, right, chunk loaded, um, then things have to happen when you're not there. Now, that's weird because when we play an RPG, the um, shared narrative space travels with the players. Yes. But we have to use the kind of tips again, the kind of things you will see in TV shows like go watch a TV series and watch how minor characters always have something going on. Right, because they still live and have lives <laughs> when the camera's not on them. And the spaces that our characters frequent will change and evolve even when they're not there because other people may use them too. Yeah, I mean, the players could return home from a, you know, from a, a dungeon exploration to find the bars busted up. Right, because there was a fight the other night. About exactly. the sports scores. <laughs> yeah. There was a like fight it got the other out of night. hand. <laughs> and, and, you know, the owner's cleaning it up and it's no big deal. And it's not a sub, it's not a side quest for the players to go on or anything like that. It just is, right? It just happened. Yeah. Um, sometimes players think that these things are all about themselves. So, um, you know, well, have things that are yeah. not about the players. <laughs> Yes. I mean, characters, players aren't wrong that the game is about their characters. They are the main, the main characters, but it doesn't mean that every single thing that happens in the setting has anything to do with them directly. Exactly. And I think that's where you start to, it starts to feel like it's alive, right? Yeah. The persistence. The other thing I will say is that, and we we touched on this, things that are alive change over time. Yes. Right. So if you also want to make a place feel alive in a campaign, have it start to change. Right. And make that noticeable to the players. Right. Like, oh, when you guys return to the space station, the background hum isn't so loud. Right. Or there's it's, a new It's click. there. <laughs> yeah, it's there, but it's not so loud. And then when they go and talk to like one of the engineers, they're like, oh, yeah, we upgraded, you know, we upgraded the life support systems since you guys were gone. And uh, now it's not as big and noisy anymore. Right. Or if you're talking about a derelict space, then it has fallen apart more since the last time that they were there. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I think those are, um, I think those are good um, techniques. I'm just going to, I'm going to go back and take a look. Um, right. So just, so how do we like, let's talk about how to make feelings. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. You can't make anyone feel something in a role-playing game, right? Ken Height once said this about horror. You can't make someone feel scared, right? Yes. They have to want to feel scared, but you can give all the cues that they should be scared, right? Or you should give cues that this is safe or not safe or dangerous, um, those kinds of things. So to take what we talked about before, which was descriptions, um, character, description, big descriptions, little descriptions, characters and change, how do we then use all of that to convey tone. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and the easiest place to start is the big descriptions and then you drill down, right? Um, 
Right. And I, I think I think you're right. You start with a big description and then your little descriptions reinforce. Yes. The yeah. big descriptions. Right. Because like, a big description will give you a generalized sense. Um, so you say this is a derelict space station. Um, it's kind of crumbling and you know, some of the lights are flickering. I'm already getting smaller, right? Than I yep. intended to, because to get creepier, I have to get smaller. Sure. You find <laughs> a you find a skeleton of, you know, a space rat. Yes. Um, a clear sign that life support has probably given out once or twice. Right. And it seems to be back at the moment. Correct. But it's making a weird noise. Yeah, or, you know, you round the corner and some containers are floating because gravity uh, has failed. Right. There's the, one, of, one of the screens in the corner is flickering as like that old fashioned like line goes up it. Right? Yes. Even though it's a hologram. Um, and, and the last word that, you know, is still make you can make out through the blur is something about, you know, failure of systems. Send help. Right. Um, or... You know, somebody has um, scrawled something on a wall that says, like, you know, abandon the station or something. There's another part that I think we actually didn't even address with that because of where I started, which is if you want to the space station to feel small and close and cramped and kind of like trap like in a creepy way like that, then there's something to be said also about those establishing shots in which we might start out in the broad vastness of space and then like that feels very big and black and then you understand sort of the emptiness around it and then you know as the little shuttle like clicks into the space station for our people to get off all of the descriptions of scenes inside of there might be really close and tight about how like there's barely enough space and maybe like there's some sparks as your you know shuttle lands because it's a, just a, such a tight fit um so you know it's I think when you pick a tone, um, so there's one, like, it's some, sometimes it's just emotional, like, creepy, but it might also be something, like, trapped or tight um, or broad or vast or lonely. Um, and the shots that you choose and the details that you choose with that go with those shots um, reinforce that emotion and feeling and idea. So if it's supposed to feel, like, ooh, creepy tight, then everything that happens should feel tight and like your details should reinforce the feeling of small space um and if it's you know broad lonely empty vastness that's very different um because if you're if you're in a dungeon and you suddenly walk out into a huge cave that echoes that is a very different feeling than you're in a dungeon and you have to squeeze through a small crack for like 10 feet into a tiny little five foot by five foot room um 100 yeah. I will also say that um, the other thing you can do with this is your own body language um, and posture can also convey this, right? So if we're talking about something being cramped, pulling your shoulders up, right? Hunching over a little as you describe, like you ease your way down, you know, this this very narrow corridor, your armor scraping occasionally on the wall, the claustrophobic feeling that if you take in too deep of a breath you might squeeze yourself 
against these walls, you know, overcomes you for a moment, those kinds of things and saying them with your, you know, hunched up or saying them with like a, you know, like, yes, you can convey that as well. Um, Hilariously, I've been making a lot of gestures as I've been doing this, but no one can see them. I know. (laughs) Yes. That is, you know, sometimes you have to say those things out loud, right? Yes, um, yes, because audio, audio yes, media. Yes, because of audio. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think, so I think that absolutely, um, I think absolutely doing that, right? You can convey a tone. You can't make a tone happen, right? If players are going to be tone deaf to it, they're tone deaf to it. Yes. But you can put all of the cues in place, that gives this feeling. Um, and then good players will know, even if they're not um, feeling it through bleed, good players will know this is creepy as fuck. I should act accordingly. Yeah, my character Correct. is reacting to the creepiness, even if I'm not personally feeling Correct. it. Right. Yes. That is also key. Yes. Yeah. I think that is um, I think that is the other half of this. Right. So there is like there's only so much a GM can do. Right. And I will say the last line of this. Right. And I have done this with my players is if I'm not 100 percent sure that they have gotten to to paraphrase gotten what I've put down. Yes. I will say it in very clear words, right? Like, yeah, I will say like, this place looks desolate and creepy. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pause myself before I finish that thought. Sure. Before I get to the player side of this, I should say, there is one more tool you can use, which of course is the leading question. Yes. Right. Because of course you can turn to a player and say, this place is very creepy. What about it is upsetting you the most? Yes, right? Let them dictate some details that give the tone, give them the tone feels. Yes. Because you don't, you're not in their heads. This actually works really good if you're trying to um, convey a certain feeling because you are asking the player to contribute to what that is that's making them creeped out so that they can, you know, instead of you guessing that this makes it feel creepy, you can ask them what it is and play off of that. Yes. Yeah. So that is also a uh, great way if you want to convey a tone is to set it and then ask the players to fill in some of those details. You can take the broad strokes, right? Mm -hmm. Set up your, you know, derelict space station and then be like, what about this space station is making you most uncomfortable? And it might be the engineer who's like, the way the power flickers makes me, makes me think that the power core is unstable. Yeah, that's, that's creepy as hell. Right, that's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Duly noted, right? Yikes, like, yeah. I didn't um, have the power core as unstable until this very I moment. do. Yeah. <laughs> now I do. Yeah, yes. so I, I think that is also, you know, that is a great way um, to kind of turn it around is to do the establishing shot and then tell, have the players contribute some detail. 
Yeah, because you're then then you're doing two things. Firstly, what you're really asking them is what what would make you feel the thing I want you to feel the most from this scene, and they're answering you, right? Right. What's going to get us? What's going to get us? What's going to get us there? Yeah. And then the other thing that you're doing, and we've talked about this in the past as well, is that anytime you can get player engagement and investment on the places that you're creating, the chances that they end up more engaged and invested um, in those things is higher. I didn't say that very well. Let me try that again. The more that you get a player to help you create the spaces, the more likely your chances are that they will be engaged and invested in those spaces because they helped create it, right? Because they're contributing. They're not just consuming. They are part of the artistry that went into creating this space um, with the intention of creating that tone and that feeling. There we go. Now, we got let's it. flip over to the other side, right? Yeah, because players. it isn't the GM's sole job to uh, to get all this done. No, because right? you can't as the GM just be the coin machine that spits out perfect settings and stories at all times for people who just sit there and go nom, 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 nom. Right. So <laughs> being a good player starts with if you if you see what the GM's putting down, pick it up, right? Yeah. If this place is supposed to feel desolate, how does desolate make your character feel? Right. Right. Maybe they're relaxed because, you know, they're constantly used to being attacked by things. And so a place that is desolate is somewhat relaxing or maybe it creeps them out because they're used to being surrounded by people. And now this place, you know, the place they're in is empty and that's uncomfortable. You can pick that. Right. You can pick what your character's reaction is, but pick up what the GM's putting down. Yeah, this is where I get to talk about Karen 12's Improv for Gamers book again, <laughs> as always. If you have not checked this book out and you are interested in doing more of this stuff, um, uh, either as a GM or as a player, but I think it's very helpful for, for players, especially, because um, GMs spend a lot of time thinking about this. And sometimes as players, we we don't spend as much time maybe honing the craft of playing the games um, because it can be more of a consuming role, consumptive. Um, anyway, I'm going to recommend it again, uh, Karen 12's Improv for Gamers. And the reason is that really what the games in there and the ideas in there are kind of throwing at you and having you practice is that element of collaborative storytelling and being able to take something that someone else says, like the GM says, this is a desolate space and the wind is whistling through it. And taking that and doing the improv thing of saying yes, right? Yes, mm -hmm. it is. Cool. Okay. Yes. So how does that make my character then act? Yeah, exactly. Because I've said yes. Because yep. the thing that you could do as a player is you could be like meh, or you could be the improv equivalent of saying no which just means now you're not going to care if it's a desolate space in an RPG space. You're like, okay, whatever, it's desolate. And you just move forward and you don't um, take that piece of the story and work with it at all. That's the same as saying no. And it's essentially a wall and it stops the collaborative storytelling. It stops the collaboration. And the GM then just sits there going, but it's desolate. And you're like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. So that's why I bring that book up again. That's why I say it's a good place to start it's just a lot of exercises in there to practice taking something that someone else hands you and just doing the thing with it. Just take it and roll with it. Yes, I agree. And I think that um, 
You can also contribute by asking additional questions to help reinforce the tone. Yeah. Right. So if, you know, somebody says like, if the GM is describing the, you know, the city street being desolate, you can ask a question like, um, it's desolate. Does it look like it's been desolate for a long time or is this more recent? Right? Recently deserted. Yeah. Yeah. And let the GM like add additional details. Right. You can always just, you know, add on to that description either, you know, sometimes yourself, because sometimes you can be prompted or sometimes you can describe something when when there's an opening. But also you can prompt the GM for a little more information. Yeah. Right. Especially if that's going to help you form your um, your opinion about the place. Right. Desolate for a long time is a different feeling than recently emptied. Right. Like right? there because were a recently lot of people emptied, and now they're gone. Right. Now. Recently empty makes it feel like whatever threat was here might still be around. Right. Still be imminent. <laughs> but if it's been desolate and it shows signs of being desolate for a very long time, then you relax a little bit more. Not completely, but it has a different um, feeling to it because you're like, okay, Whatever happened here to empty this place out happened a long time ago. Yeah. We should be on the lookout, but it was a long time ago. Right. Yeah. So cool. I um I think I think we've covered this topic and we managed to um address it, I think, on a couple different levels. I'll try to do a quick little summary before we get out of here. But we talked about descriptions, broad, you know, broad and then small descriptions. We talked about the use of other senses, either uh, beyond just describing things, but uses of sound, smell, visual, um, visual cues. We talked about adding life, making a place seem alive by um, having things and NPCs and stuff that happen uh, that give the impression that these things happen when the players aren't there. We talked about change. That's a way to show life, right? Things change over time. Um, and then we talked on the player side about being receptive to what the GM is putting out. Um, we also talked, backing up from player side, we talked about um, uh, leading questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I think, like, I feel like we've given this a nice little uh, little once over. Hopefully, yeah. Powell, the, some of those things you can apply to your game and the rest of you can do the same. Yeah. Let us I know, know if I you will have be. <laughs> more questions about setting um, yeah. and, uh, and, and all of that stuff. We'll, we'll talk more about it if you want us to. Absolutely. So I think that's a good place to stop and we can wrap up. And um, I think we should get to the closing. And the way we get to the closing is to go through another show. So send it. Tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Sure. Um, on Misdirected Mark Plays, you can hear Phil put his descriptive and setting chops out there for you to hear because right now he is running a game um, in Cortex Prime called Children of the Shroud with Chris, Bob, and Jerry. And you can also hear all of them discuss a bunch of things about that campaign after you've listened to them happen in the campaign. And yeah, it's come full circle on their exploratory exploratory play series, MM Plays. Yes. Anyway, I, Children's Shroud is great. Just to be there clear. We go. Perfect. Yeah. Say, so, Senda, where's the one place in the internet where people find us? Well, you can find us at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. It's great. It's one place. 
you can just find us there. Yeah, and Phil, once they find whatever way they would like to connect with us, uh, what can they do with that information? Yeah, much like today's topic that Powell sent in, um, feel free to send us a topic, a question, uh, something you would like us to discuss, something that would make your job as a GM easier, whatever it is. Um, we're here to help. We're going to put our vast decades of uh, gameplay, GMing, GM advice, podcasting, and game design to work for you. And we're going to help you out with some tips, some tricks. We'll break some things down. We'll define some stuff. Uh, we'll look at it from the GM side and the player side. We'll come at it from any angle we can figure out. Um, with the hopes that the advice that we provide you makes things easier so that you have more better fun when you run your games, which, of course, will mean that you will stay in the hobby longer and get all the benefits of being in this, well, pretty awesome hobby. Yes. So if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon, Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You get access to the Slack Room for Life chat with some fine folks, drop us a note. You can hit us up in the DMs if you like. Um, you can even deliver your topics there. Like you don't even yeah, like, we sure. will pick them up from there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can join our Friday call. It's a bit rambunctious at times, but uh, it's good. It's good. And um, you can also get access at different levels of our Patreon to some of our materials. The Children of the Shroud setting materials are in there. Uh, and I believe there's a design tier where you can get stuff that we're, you know, actively designing. So consider those as well. Um, if you're already backing our Patreon campaign, thank you very much. Um, your support means a lot to us and it helps keep the lights on. If you're unable to back our Patreon campaign, that's totally fine. There's a thing you can do. It takes just a few seconds of your precious time and we would greatly appreciate it. What is that thing, Sunda? Well, you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, wherever you're listening to this show right now. We appreciate it. You can also just tell a friend, tell someone who's looking for a show. Someone's like, boy, my uh, my my campaign is making a funny noise when I turn to the left. And uh, you say, awesome, there's a show. It's like car talk, but for your RPGs. Yeah, that's wheel bearings. <laughs> just going to tell you, that's, that's your bearings. You got to go take that in, have the bearings replaced. Place. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not sure how that connects up to campaigns, but we're going to go with it. Um, cool. So anybody that you feel like telling, you know, if you feel like we're a good match, we also really appreciate that. Yes, your campaign bearings are worn down. You're going to need those replaced. Right. Time <laughs> anyway. for a new big bad. <laughs> anyway, say send up. Yeah. What what part of our Long Live the Queen game could use a more alive description. Ooh. Now I'm thinking about this a lot. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, eh? Hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, eh? Hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, eh? Hey. Bloop! Yeah. Clicky it is. Clicky, clickety, clickety. Clickety, clickety, clack. Oh boy. I have a computer full of laptops. A computer, a desk full of laptops. So many laptops. Yes, it's like so. a fistful of dollars. Oof. They're everywhere. I'm having trouble storing them. The old job laptop, the new job laptop, the personal laptop. Everybody's here. Bloop. Okay. Um, I think I'm good. Okay. Would, uh, would we like to do, well, hello, Ryan. First of all, hi. 
Hello, welcome. Yeah, hi, Ryan. Bloop. I am noticing that your video is frozen. Uh, I can't do anything about it. I can okay. just cycle the camera. Otherwise, yeah. this starts Give to get shot. weird. No, it's okay. If it if it doesn't go, then it doesn't, and we'll just do our best. It is easier when I can see you. You seem to be okay now. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right. Bloop. Da, na, na, na. Okay. Bloop. All right, let's knock one out. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> that sounds so dirty. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to get this done. I know. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not helping. Moving okay. right along. <laughs> you ready? Mm-hmm. Bloop. Show me what you got. 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 Well done. Yeah. Excellent.